Hello and welcome to Intrepid Times, your home for narrative travel writing with heart. I'm Nathan Thomas, and alongside my co-host Jennifer Roberts, we take you behind the scenes of some of our most popular travel stories, get you to meet travel writers, and help you discover how you can share your own travel stories with the world. And welcome back. I'm Jennifer Roberts, and today I'm here with an extra special guest, uh, Jeffrey Scoblow. Uh, Jeff is an emeritus professor of English language and literature, uh, an avid reader, a published writer, and a friend. He's published two scholarly books, a book on paleo cave art, and more recently, two self-published books of fiction and poetry, in addition to various essays and articles. He was one of my literature professors back in my university days, uh, and he had a tremendous influence on my literary interests and ultimately the course of my career. (laughs) Even now, many years after I've graduated, uh, we still spend a lot of time uh, talking about literature, reading, writing, uh, etc. And I have no doubt he's the perfect person uh, to help me unravel the seemingly obvious yet deeply mysterious question we're posing today which is why good readers make good writers. So thanks so much for making time for the podcast today, Jeff. Sure thing, Jen. It's good to be here. So you are a very talented writer. I love reading all your stuff, uh, as well as a voracious reader. Um, And both of those are important for our conversation today. But it's also important to note that you taught writing uh, in some form or fashion for many years as a university professor, Uh, So you have a really wide-ranging perspective on good writing and the people behind it. Um, And I know that when we were chatting about this topic a little bit before, that it seemed like a kind of easy universal truth that the students who read the most tended to be the best writers. Um, We've seen very similar things in intrepid times, uh, which is why we spend so much time on the podcast introducing our listeners to good travel writers. But while it seems like a universal truth. I'm actually really interested in diving into the why behind this. You know, what is it about reading that helps people develop better writing skills? And, you know, perhaps an interesting place to start would be your recently published book uh, titled Being and Nothingness and Muskrats and Trees. (laughs) We'll link to it uh, on the podcast page when he wants to check it out. Uh, It's really, really interesting. Um, And that book talks a lot about the act of reading and writing and what those two things mean actually in practice. There's a part where you talk about reading as a way of, you know, nourishing the mind, um, kind of like exercise or eating, right? And this act of nourishment seems important as a source of growth in writing. And it seems like something you thought a lot about for that essay. Uh, So can we explain? Explore that for a minute, this idea of nourishing and how that might influence, you know, the way that writers become better through the act of reading. Yeah, that's a really interesting way to think about it, nice way to frame it, I think. I mean, I remember what you're referring to in that essay, you know, What I've Learned from the Poets uh, is the name of that essay. And um, yeah, you know, that was spurred by my retirement and uh, thinking about what I've been doing all these years, uh, teaching and reading and writing. And, uh, you know, what does it, 
amount to? How do I account for all that? What what good has it done me or what's it been all about and what's it been for? So uh, so that kind of focused my attention on on those basic acts of reading at the heart of it. Um, and part of what really struck me as I tried to follow my mind as I read was that, uh, well, just what you say, you know, I, I was doing it as I was doing it. Uh, that's not the right way to say it. I mean, I was exercising my mind, as you put it. Um, I mean, often I think when we think about what reading is, um, we think about what it's good for or what it gets us or what we remember or, uh, you know, what it taught us or, you know, things that come after the reading, right? But, you know, the the point that you just opened up from that essay is not about what happens after the reading. It's about the reading itself. So at one point in that piece, I make the connection between it's like, it's like food or like sex or like any number of other basic human things that we do. The, the point of it is not really, well, in some ways what comes after, but it's not about remembering it, right? I mean, I was, I've been nourished by every meal I've eaten in my life. I remember some of them and that's a pleasure, but that's an added pleasure, right? And same thing with, you know, intimate relations of all kinds between people uh, all my life, uh, even from childhood. Uh, those are nourishing and exercising and, you know, shaping who I am, even when I don't remember it. So so that's what that was kind of a new thought to some extent about reading. Right. Uh, or, or at least a way to focus on reading uh, in a, from a slightly different perspective. Yeah, there's a part that comes, I'm not remembering exactly if it comes right before that or after it. It's in the same essay, uh, I believe. Um, but you write, when asked does retirement, what he hoped to do now, uh, Goethe is said to have said, to become a better reader. So it's not about the information as much as a way of the mind's being, of sustained presence occupying time. And that struck me as very closely related to what we do in writing, right? We have to sustain presence, right? We have to be there with what we're trying to write. And we have to be able to focus on that in the story. And, you know, writing is different from reading in many ways, but there is this idea you're presenting there of, you know, in reading, we practice kind of being with a story. And in writing, we have to do the same thing, right? Yeah, no, they are. I mean, they're they're you know two versions of a of a similar practice. It seems to me, and hard hard to hard to whatever quantify. Certainly hard to even account for what all is going on in that act. I mean, you know, meditation is another form, another way that people have, you know taking a walk in the woods, uh, you know, can be a, another way of, uh, you know, acts of sustained presence, right? But reading and writing from their different angles uh, do do feel like that to me. I mean, that's one way to talk about the, you know, the muscles that we're exercising, right? When we're reading or writing, uh, sort of practicing and 
feeding or nourishing our, you know, capacities for that kind of that kind of presence. Yeah, you know, I'm remembering a an exercise that one of my high school English teachers had us do where we had to read a short story. Um, I believe it was a short story about World War II and a soldier who was kind of listing all the things he had to carry. I think it was called The Things We Carry or some. Yeah, yeah. Sure yeah. Tim, o Tim O'Brien. Yeah, Tim O'Brien. Exactly. Uh, so we had to read this and then we had to replicate several pages, you know, our own story, but using the same voice and kind of sentence patterns. Um, you know, we literally had to count the words in each sentence and try to replicate it as closely as possible without writing the exact same story. Um, and to me, that feels kind of like what we're talking about. You know, we're not doing that as explicitly every time we read a story or a book or an article, but there is something that sticks, right? Something that we're absorbing, you know, kind of like a child absorbing their language, you know, they're developing this language. And perhaps in the same way, when we're reading, we're developing a kind of writing language. Um, sometimes, maybe consciously, if we are analyzing sentence structures and voice and tone as we do in, you know, university writing classes. But a lot of times that seems to me would be unconscious. And is that simply part of, you know, what forms our voice as writers and what makes us better writers ultimately? It's so complex, I think. I mean, in some way, when you first mentioned this idea to me, this topic of, uh, you know, how reading is related to writing, you know, my first response to it was, well, it's it's obviously so. But but then, you know, like a lot of things that seem obvious, it, it, you know, it, it's interesting the, the more I got me thinking about it, you know. So, uh, you know, the complexity of it is what really stands out to me and the, the, the difficulty of of even, you know, parsing all the parts that are involved. You're reminding me of, of a you know, some study, um, I think they were uh, Columbia University psychologists, maybe. Um, they were somewhere somewhere back in New York uh, doing some research a few years ago. This is maybe 10 years ago, because uh, I remember talking to some of my classes about it. So they're, they're, uh, the, the, the study that they did was they, they sent college students into job interviews. Uh, but before they went into the interview, they had them read uh, for 10 minutes, I think, uh, some Dostoevsky or Chekhov, uh, some, you know, kind of serious Russian literature. And then another group, they had read some, oh, you know, what to call it, uh, you know, more kind of genre fiction, more predictable kind of uh, literature, uh, a, a detective story where, you know, the focus is, you know, uh, who, who did it or something like that. Just something simpler. And their findings were that the people uh, who read Dostoevsky or Chekhov for uh, you know, 10 minutes before a job interview scored demonstrably better in that job interview, according to the people that were interviewing them. And their account of that was that uh, their experience of that literature in only 10 minutes, which kind of blows my mind that they could even come to the conclusion, but that they were more alive to the interviewer, that they were more attentive uh, to the person they were talking to, 
that that kind of literature, they said, that is researchers, you know, the, the outcome was not clear when you're reading a story by Chekhov. When you're reading another kind of, uh, you know, simpler piece of literature, it's familiar, right? So you respond the way you respond to, you know, I know where I am and I know what I have to find out and that's that's that. But when you're in a sort of more complex literary environment in a story, you don't have that luxury is one way to put it, right? And you have to uh, still yourself maybe in some way and let something come in and take shape, right? So their responses to the questions were also less kind of prefabricated, right? They were they were less uh, pre-known. And that also makes me think about just like learning to speak, like and how all of this is really social, right? It's not just like our mind and our thoughts and then getting them out. It's who am I talking to and why, right? So I think like, like how do we learn to talk? It, you know, you know, I grew up in a, in a suburb of a big city. Uh, you know, if I hang out with you know farmers around here in Southern Illinois, uh, they have a different way of talking, and it's not just vocabulary. It's it's a whole bunch of things, right? And in order to learn to talk their talk, I would need to be among them, just like I learned English by being among English speakers, right? So on every level, from the language down to the more sort of microcosmic social discourses, there's a lot to take in that is very, very, very difficult, as you know, as a person who's, you know, lived in other languages and, and, and learned another language, right? Uh, it's infinitely complex, right? So writing and all different kinds of writing are, you know, different languages in that way. So how do we learn to do that? How do you learn travel writing talk if you don't hear travel writing talkers, right? And 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 so on. Yeah, that's so interesting to me because I also feel, you know, there's a very, you know, it seems obvious, but, you know, as writers, we're not the same writer at age 20 as we are at age 40. We're not the same writer at age 40 as we are at age 60. You know, we become very different writers over time. Our voice doesn't stay stable. Um, and that seems to me a big part because we're so influenced by not only what we hear, but what we read as well. Now, some of this has to be connected to, you know, which Netflix series we watch. You know, there's there's a lot of information coming in through, through various media. But reading you know, that study you were talking about seems like its own creature, right? Where you're engaging in, you know, a kind of silent yet very complex conversation with your own thoughts, because, you know, these characters on pages, they're only real if you make them real. Um, and each person has the ability to come to their own conclusions about what's happening. And, you know, this idea of kind of opening up to different ideas, which seems to be what happened in that study where people were just simply more open to receiving information and processing it in a complex way, you know, critical thinking, right? right. Um, you know, university courses. I mean, there's like critical thinking 101, right? <laughs> um, you know, this is this is important. Um, people know it's important, um, but how do you develop it? And reading seems like a good way to do that. And you know, I took, I remember taking a course with you in university on Latin American literature, and you know, there was a book, uh, The Kiss of the Spider Woman, where 
it's the whole book is essentially two characters in dialogue with each other. And that was such a different way of having to read that I can honestly point to that book as kind of the spark for my interest in Latin American literature and possibly for why I ended up in Chile. <laughs> um, you know, this, this idea that there was a different way of writing and reading, you know, in different areas of the world that made me think about well, what am I missing, you know, by only focusing on certain literature, you know, what language am I not learning by only reading this and this and this, you know, it's impossible to, of course, to, to read everything. We can do our best, <laughs> but we're just not, we're not going to get there. But, you know, it also then seems to me very important to choose carefully what you read, or is it just reading in general? I mean, the point you seem to be making is, you know, with that study, it was very important what they were reading. And so then I guess my follow-up question to that is how do we choose what to read? Yeah, you know, it also, uh, you know, this underlines for me how it's, you know, thinking about the social aspect of all of this, that it's not even just what we read, it is part what we read, but it's also like the, the context in which we read it, right? That, I mean, you mentioned critical thinking and critical thinking classes, and we're talking about language classes. I've taken many Spanish, French, Latin language classes, and uh, you can learn a lot in all of those classes, obviously. They're crucial, but if you're learning a language, there's also, you know, immersion, which is crucial, right? Like at a certain point uh, to get uh, to a, a certain level of comfort in in speaking a language, uh, you, you have to get out of the classroom, right? And same thing with what we call critical thinking, right? There's a lot that we can learn in critical thinking classes uh, and also in, in any number of other classes, you know, where we're engaged in the act of critical thinking in every class we ever take. But uh, you can't learn it all in classes, right? You have to engage those muscles in the world at large, right? And in a, again, a sort of truly infinite, like uncountable number of contexts to learn how to think critically about any number of things or to learn how to talk farmer talk or or professor talk or or whatever it might be, right? So that's the social dimension of all of these questions that uh, that I, I guess you know maybe, I mean, I'd never really thought about this before, but may, maybe we tend to overlook that somehow, that when we think about reading and writing, I mean, they're such personal and, and uh, individual acts, right, to sit in a chair with a book or to, to sit and write something. We're very often alone or creating some little bubble of solitude to get those things done but they are not done in solitude, right? So yeah, so where do you go is another way of saying, what do you read, right? Where do you go? Who who do you go to engage with uh, and why? And and then what happens, you know, that's a, it's a social question. I mean, there's something in, you know, I'm, I miss the part of, you know, university where, you know, we were asked to read a book and then talk about it. And there's another layer there, right? You know, simply talking about what you read somehow expands or solidifies your understanding of it. 
Um, you know, I'm in a very privileged position where I get to talk with really talented travel writers uh, and writers of all kinds, uh, just because of my job. And, you know, in all those conversations, there's always ideas that had begun to form, you know, in my act of reading in solitude, but that, you know, come into their kind of full form when I begin to try to explain them and, you know, give them a form in my language, you know, that it kind of goes beyond just like this weird blob of thinking that kind of happens in your reading. And some of those ideas solidify and some don't. And a lot of that is through the act of speaking about what you read and who do you go to, to speak about your recent literary interests, you know, that also feels important to me, you know, that there's somebody there who either shares the interest or is willing to listen um, while you explain your ideas. There's something there, right, that in writing classes and literature classes in university, I think a great part of the importance of those is that you're forced to talk about and reflect and develop your ideas with other people who have different ideas, right? Right. I mean, you know, we've all had classes that were super exciting and, and or hopefully we all have and 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 others that were not so much and and that it made a difference, you know, when we read something in one of those classes, you know, we the teacher and the other people in the class were present in some way, right? And uh, you know, we wanted to hear what somebody had to say or or we were interested to try out an idea, uh, you know, in front of those particular people or not, or we were interested in keeping our mouth shut when we were with those particular people or, you know, whatever it might be. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting. I, you're, you're just making me think about like in practical terms, we, you know, it's helpful to be alone in a quiet place to read uh, or to write, uh, certainly to read, but it's maybe not just a practical matter like that, that there's some kind of balance or equilibrium to to establish between the the, the, the I and the we, the me thinking in a quiet space and then me engaging in a conversation with others. And there, it's not a hard line between them, right? The others are somewhat there, even if they're amorphous, you know? I mean, writing anything I've written, I have some feeling. I mean, I can't necessarily always specify who I'm writing for, but it's clear that there's some sense of other people out there that I'm engaging with, even if even if it's a piece of writing that I'll never show to anybody else, right? Uh, and even if I know that for whatever reason it might be, uh, it could just be some sort of exercise that I'm doing, you know, memory exercise, uh, trying to write down th things that mattered to me on a on a trip somewhere that I that I didn't or couldn't ever photograph, right? Memory exercise. Uh, I might show it to you know Mary, or I might show it to uh, some friends. Uh, or not. I mean, I've written plenty of things that I've never, you know, even thought to show anyone. It's just not what it was about. But they're they're there. Someone's there. Some sense of other people. So you have to be thinking about about that on some on some level. 
right? You have to be thinking about your reader when you're writing, which I think is perhaps more so the case in travel writing than other genres, because, you know, you're trying to describe often a place, you know, a real place or real people or real experiences that you're trying to get across to a reader who may or may not understand this part of the world or this type of culture or this particular experience. And, you know, having to do that and think about what your reader is coming to the page with, you know, how can we do that if we're not readers ourselves? If we haven't engaged with this act of being a reader, Right. Well, again, it's it's that it's that community, you know, it's that like, you know, how do you learn to talk the way, you know, uh, hospital technicians talk to each other or or whatever it might be, you know, a shared frame of reference and, and so on. So, you know, there is a community of people who are interested in places they've never been and may never go to. Right. So that's the the community of travel writing readers. Right. And if you're a travel writer uh, and you're not a member of the community of travel writing readers, it's difficult to speak the language of travel writing readers. Right. Uh, you don't you don't have a sense of, oh, the kind of information background they may or may not want or need in a, in any given case. Right. Because, uh, of course, that's a diverse community itself, like any community, right? Like farmers or professors or technicians or whatever. Uh, readers of travel writing are also diverse in their reading and in their interests for reading, right? Uh, some want to read about places that they know they want to go. Uh, others want to read about places that they know they'll never go. You know, there uh, I mean, lots of other uh, divisions among their motivations, right? But you would have to have some sense of some part of that community. Right. And, you know, you're speaking a little bit about, you know, variety here. You know, readers tend to not just read one type of literature, though some do. You know, some are very focused on a specific type of fiction. And maybe for years they focus on that type and then they move on to something else. But I think in general for readers, there is a lot of variety that happens. And so, I do think it's important here to note that, you know, for listeners who perhaps want to be or practice travel writing, you know, you don't just have to read travel writing. I think it's important, you know, immensely important to read travel writing if you want to be a good travel writer. But, you know, we have a lot of writers who begin travel writing and they have more experience writing poetry. And that informs the way that they write their travel writing and informs their voice and their tone and the way that they approach the world. So I don't think, you know, you have to pigeonhole yourself. I can only read travel writing because I really want to become a travel writer. I don't think that's the point. I think variety is key here, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that that's absolutely true. Uh, and and again, that to me speaks to the the sort of infinitely subtle complexity of what we're talking about, right? That it's not it's not a purely technical matter. It's not like I'm gonna, you know, read travel writing and then, you know, put the pieces together and do my own travel writing. Right. I mean, it's it's important in in fundamental ways, again, like we're talking about, you know, to uh have some sense of of the community of the people that you imagine you're talking to. But other kinds of writing that you read 
all all flow into your writing also right and and some of the most powerful i mean writers are are infinitely varied too but you know some of the most powerful writers for me uh, are writers that uh, you know cross boundaries that bring in a, a you know other uh, kind of feelings that are, you know, maybe, you know, imported, so to speak, from from other forms of writing. You know, writers on on uh, scientific topics, I read a lot of science writing, and there are some writers that are clearly also reading uh, literary work, you know, poetry, fiction. Uh, they They bring in aspects of other modes of writing, you know, within the context of what they're doing. And that can be you know really exciting and enriching so there aren't hard lines right it's not like uh you know you slot into this type or that type um all these communities speak to each other somehow yeah you know it strikes me that you know being a reader or being a you know good or avid reader at the very least feels like being part of a kind of culture right where if you if you meet someone and you begin speaking to them it's generally quite easy, at least in my opinion, to tell if they read. Um, and I mean that in the broadest sense, um, you know, if they're just well read, there's something about the way that they speak or the way that they think, which goes back a little bit to that study you had mentioned before. There's something there that isn't something you can necessarily nail down, but seems very obvious. They are well read. Um, you know, they're able to speak about and think about the world in this way. And you know, that also feels important if we're talking about, you know, travel, because in reading, you know, you're engaging with a certain type of culture, developing your own type of inner culture. And in travel, you're experiencing other cultures, and that's informing the way that you're writing and reading. And the idea is not fully formed, but there's something in, you know, being a reader and being a traveler that seems inextricably linked in some important way, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah, well, it is a kind of travel. I mean, I would talk uh, to students about that using that metaphor. Sometimes not not so much travel, it's more like a you know, I mean, a, you know, a walk in the woods uh, is a kind of travel, uh, especially if you've never been in those woods before, or arriving, you know, by ferry uh, on some shore uh, and and then entering, you know, that place. Um, you know, when you read. You know, you understand without even having to articulate it to yourself that uh, not everything is clear right away, right? Uh, you don't expect everything to be immediately clear. Although, again, in that study, you know, there were certain there are certain kinds of reading where you do know very quickly where you are, so to speak, right? It's like, oh, this is this kind of story. Oh, right. You know, uh, they're going to fall in love and then they're going to like, you know, it's going to all work out, right? I know it. That's how that's going to be. And then there are other kinds of places where you get to where you don't know, you know, how it's going to go, right? So, you know, to to read a story uh, or a poem or, uh, I mean, let's just leave it at that for now, to read, uh, you know, a piece of literature like that, you know, it's like arriving on a shore and you have to then figure out how to proceed and what looks interesting and am i you know going to focus on this or that kind of thing what what does this town or beach or forest have to offer me which is what we do in writing 
That's right. That's true. And and on writing, there's an added pressure, right? Because because it seems like it's more difficult not knowing where you're going when you're writing, right? <laughs> uh, if you're reading, at least okay. There's page one. There's page two. Uh, somebody's, you know, pulling you along. You've got like a little guide, you know, uh, with a little pole with a flag on top, and you can follow along to some extent, right? Uh, but when you're writing, that's an obstacle for, uh, you know, a lot of people, maybe all of us in some way. You know, it's like, uh, oh, I, I don't really even know if there's anything here. So how do I proceed through that forest, right? You know, the, uh, you're making me think of, you know when we're traveling, you know, I know my co-editor at Intrepid Times, Nathan, he's very good at getting lost in cities. You know, he likes to just, you know, leave his hotel or Airbnb or what have you and just go wander, get himself lost and then find his way back. And to me, that feels like something that would be important for a writer is this ability to feel lost and to then analyze your choices. Okay, I can go left or right at this street and this will take me maybe here, maybe there. I'm not really sure, but we'll try it and see what happens. You know, we're getting into this whole, you know, triangle of, you know, writing, reading, travel. And it's just making me think a lot about the act of travel. You know, does reading make us better travelers? Does travel make us better writers? Does writing inform the way that we travel and read? And yes, I think to all of it. Um, but this act of not really knowing where you're going and being okay with that for a little bit. You know, this is essentially writer's block that we're talking about, right? <laughs> where you get to a place and you're like, I could go right, I could go left. I'm not really sure which one I want to do. And I just have to leave it for a few days and not really move forward and let that be okay. No, it strikes me that, you know, one of the things that, you know, I love so much about traveling and, you know, uh, it's pretty common you know, feeling among people that that love to travel is, you know, your attention is like uh, heightened, right? Like uh, every, even routine tasks are like, they're not taken for granted. It's uh, interesting to put something in a mailbox that's a different color from the one that you normally put it in, or, you know, it, it's simple things. And that reading also and writing even more so, you know, those are sort of modes of heightened attention right that kind of all stand against our ordinary taken for granted you know going about our our day doing our things in our familiar places and our familiar modes so they are they are all cognate forms right they're all modes of travel they're all modes of reading traveling is a way of reading you're you know you you don't know what's around you you're interpreting signs you're you know you're trying to piece things together is that related to that or is that you know that's a oh that was a surprise I mean all kinds of things you're reading and you're writing also even if you never set down a word you're putting things into it I mean just like when we read we're writing right we're we're reconstructing we're telling the story to ourselves that somebody else is telling to us right or that we're watching you're also reminding me about a wonderful essay by Kathleen Jamie. She's a Scottish writer. She's, uh, you know, travel writer to some extent. I mean, uh, you know, she writes essays about nature, Scotland, uh, you know, landscapes in Scotland, um, experiences and other places that she's been. And, and she's got, and she's a poet also. And um, she has a series of essays about a period of time she spent in, I, I think, 
Alaska, although it might have been in Canada, but in that coastal area where uh, some, uh, you know, indigenous uh, cultures have been for a long time and, and people of those cultures are still living there. And because of climate change, some of the sort of glaciers in that area are receding and parts of their ancestral history is is coming to light, you know, because the, the ice is retreating and objects and structures uh, that nobody knew were there are sort of coming out. And she describes going on a, some kind of all-terrain little dune buggy or something with uh, a woman that she meets there out into the tundra. And the woman has some things to do out there and just leaves Kathleen Jamie kind of sitting on a little tussock for a, a while. And she describes what she sees when she gets there. And then she describes what she sees when she's been there for 10 minutes. And, and then she describes what she sees when she's been there for like an hour. I mean, I'm making up those numbers, but it was something like that. And that stays with me as such a kernel metaphor of, of the, the core of traveling, uh, but also of, of reading and, and of writing, right? That there's something that's clear right away. And then if you don't just keep moving because you figured what that was about, but you stay there and keep paying attention, then it's not like hidden meaning as students sometimes would like to complain about. It's right there. It's just you have to spend time to see it. It's right in front of you, right? So so that that feels like all of these things that we're talking about to me. And also presence, right? Which is where kind of you started. Yeah, we begin with this this idea of, you know, you have to learn to be present in order to be both a good reader and a good writer. And I think that this this ability to pay attention is not something that comes easy to us nowadays. And, you know, you talk a little bit in your, your most recently published book about routine. And we talk a lot about, you know, at Intrepid Times, we we tell people try to develop a writing routine, you know, at least try five minutes a day, just writing something. But, you know, throughout this whole conversation, it also feels very important to me that you develop alongside that a reading routine, because, you know, if these things feel so interconnected now that we've talked through them that I can't imagine. And perhaps there are exceptions um, where people can, you know, just write five minutes a day and they become better writers. I'm sure that that happens. Um, I have no doubt that that happens in some cases. You know, if you're reading five minutes a day and writing five minutes a day, you know, does that enhance the effects? You know, does that mean that you become an even better reader and an even better writer? Do these two things always work in tandem to enhance the other one? And I just wonder, maybe we can end on this question. You know, are these two things working that closely together or can we separate them? Yeah, it's a good question. You know, if I mean, my my first response is that, again, it's like we were talking earlier about the the, the kind of solitude of the writer and the reader and and the uh, engagement with a community of, of others of the writer and the reader. This question of routine feels similarly uh, squishy is the word I want to use, you know, uh, routine that is 
there's some power in routine and the commitment and the discipline of routine, the kind of foreknowledge that I will wash the dishes, I will do do the things that I do. That's really important, uh, I think. But, you know, it can also feel empty. Some routines are empty routines, right? So uh, so there's some spirit of uh, kind of f- freshness uh, that's also necessary, right? That's not just doing the thing I do because that's the thing I do, but, you know, some, you know, that sense of stepping off the boat or of stepping into the woods and sitting on a tussock in the tundra, seeing what I can see, right? There's some dimension of of the routine that you want that other aspect also, right? You want to somehow keep that door open. It's uh, it's not a mechanical business. Right. There's there's no easy answer here, is there? Um, which I think we knew going into the conversation. The idea here was to explore, um, and we've done quite a bit of that. Yeah, I don't think we were looking for a solid answer. I think that it, this episode would have been very boring if we had come to a solid conclusion. <laughs> um, I think that there is a solid conclusion in that if you read more, you tend to be a better writer. <laughs> um, why that happens, uh, I think there's a lot of uh, content in the past you know, 45-ish minutes that uh, can help listeners reflect on this and perhaps come to their own conclusions around this. But yeah, for listeners, I think I would simply suggest if you want to be a good writer, pick up any writing that feels interesting to you and start there. Um, perhaps, you know, like writing, you know, if you know you need to get a certain type of writing done, that doesn't mean you have to sit down and immediately do that. You can write something that feels more inspirational or easy even. If you like poetry, write a poem and then try to write a travel story. There's something in that too, um, you know, in that variety, like we talked about. It's also, you know, it feels to me like we've been talking about how the interconnections between all these things mean that you can think about reading even when you're not sitting with a book, right? That like you take a walk and, you know, in what way are you reading? And, and, or you, you know, in what way are you writing even when you don't have a keyboard or, or a writing implement in your hand? And, and in what way can you travel even when you're like sitting in your, your living room or, or wherever you're sitting? Uh, there's traveling to be done uh, in some way. That's something to explore also. No, that's great. And I actually think that's a perfect idea to end on. Uh, thank you so much, Jeff. This was uh, a very enlightening conversation. Thanks so much. Your thing. Thank you, Jen. It's great to talk. Thanks for listening, everyone. And don't forget to check out our new travel stories published weekly on intrepidtimes.com. See you next time.